Welcome to the practice of nonprofit leadership, episode number 10. I'm Tim Barnes. And I'm Nathan Ruby. Well, Nathan, here we are. It's, we're excited because it is our 10th episode. I and know. In, how, how cool is that? That's amazing, isn't it? We, we made it to 10. That's right. We're in our, we're in our series um, called What's My Job? And uh, we started that in our last episode, introducing the various questions that we might have about what is it that I actually do as an executive director at a nonprofit? What is, what is my job? And we gave you a few ideas. And the biggest point last time was it's all your job. The bad news. <laughs> Everything is your job. And it's especially true when you are in a small to medium nonprofit. It seems like that's what happens. But we want to spend the next few episodes talking about various aspects of what your job is as an executive director. If you've been listening to us earlier in some of our earlier episodes, you know that one of the things that Nathan lives for is to ask people for money. And unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately, I should say, <laughs> that's good because as a nonprofit, it's good to have money to be able to do your work. But seriously, uh, we are going to talk about that today. Fundraising is a major part of what it takes to lead a nonprofit organization. So we're excited to talk about this, Nathan, and I'm glad that you are good at this and you are passionate about it. I know you have some good things to share with us today. How did you get interested in being a fundraiser? Oh, you know, that's that's a, a good question. And there is an answer. Um you know, I've been doing this for uh, uh, over 20 years now and talked to hundreds, thousands of people that are in the in the sector doing this. And hardly anyone uh, I can count on one finger where, you know, somebody grew up saying, hey, I, I wanted to be a fundraiser, you know, and and now that there's colleges and universities are starting to have more and more nonprofit schools uh, you're getting a little bit more in the in the sector of people who they actually went to school for this, but but still, it's a very small number. And for me, I uh, I was actually working in my family business, which was a trucking company, and um, I had no fundraising experience. I had sales experience. That was one of the things I did, uh, and. Through a story that's way too long to tell, uh, family decided to sell the the trucking business, and I had worked for the family business all of my life, and I was in my late twenties, and you know I had to put together a resume for the first time, and I saw there was the the local uh, uh, retirement community as a Lutheran based retirement community I was advertising for a, a director of development, and I didn't really know what that was. But I, so I read the description and it sounded like sales to me. And it's like, well, I could do that. And uh, so I put together a resume and I ended up getting the job for two reasons, Tim. Um, one is I knew everybody on the leadership team because I went to church with them uh, and that, that was helpful. And two, I was the only person who applied that would work for what they could afford to pay. And uh, so that's how I got started. And thankfully for me, uh, they hired a consultant uh, to come in and work with me who spent about three years with me and uh, Bruce Bonnickson. Uh, and he uh, he taught me to do what I do. Uh, and I got connected with a couple of early uh, Terry Egan. I got uh, a couple of early mentors that that walked with me and taught me 
major, especially major gifts, uh, and then you know the other strategies and tactics. So, so I I wouldn't say it was a fluke, but it certainly wasn't something that I had grown up thinking about or wanting to do. And so that was in the late 1990s, and here I am. Well, I have to say, Nathan and I have been been working in together, or colleagues and uh, friends for over for over ten years, and. Uh, I will affirm that he's very good at this and has lots to teach us and is a great coach if you're looking for someone to uh, to coach you in, in this area. But I think it's one of the most challenging things when it comes to executive director. Oftentimes, we're very focused on program. We're very excited to, to work with people and to lead and to get our hands dirty. But I just I find that most people stepping into the executive role struggle with raising funds. And it's such an integral part of being a nonprofit. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, fundraising is a, especially when you get into major gifts and plan giving um, more major gifts, it, it is a, and some people get in the, in the industry, get mad when I say this, but this, this is sales, Tim. And it's, it's sales with a twist and it's sales. It's, it's obviously not selling cars. And, you know, I can say that because, you know, my dad, what was a car salesman when he was growing up. So, you know, it, and it, it, you're not selling widgets. All right. But it is a sales genre. Um, and a lot of people are not, that's just not how they're wired. And especially now m- most people get into uh, nonprofit work, whether they're coming in as a founder or if they're coming in as a second career or mid-career, and, and they're excited. They're excited about the mission that the organization does. They're excited about changing lives, transforming lives, as well. They should, because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen without revenue being generated. And and for a lot of executive directors, it becomes the necessary evil. And they do it, but they do it reluctantly. And and that's a that's a recipe for disaster. Well, I think you have some good things to share with us today. So maybe we can jump into that. And hopefully this is something you're struggling with, or maybe you're really good, but you could be a little sharper. I think there are some good things that Nathan has to share with us today. Nathan, one of the first things that you talk about when it comes to fundraising as an executive director is that you talk about this is really personal. What do you, what do you mean by that? This is a, a, a face-to-face, one-on-one proposition. And you know, donors give, donors write a check for their own motivations and their own needs. And in order to encourage a donor to give to your organization, the very first thing that you have to do is you have to understand what their motivation and what their needs are as a donor. And the the one of the things I always teach on when I coach with people is the closer that you come to a donor's max gift, the more personal the relationship needs to be. So what do I mean by that? So if you are asking, let's say a donor has a capacity to make a million dollar gift. All right. That's a donor I would like to know, right? Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) So if they have a capacity to make a million dollar gift and you're only asking them for a thousand dollars, all right, you, you don't probably have to have that close of a relationship with them because that's nowhere near their max gift. So, you know, you need to know, do they give to your sector? So if you're a, uh, if you're a human service organization 
and they only give to uh, um, oh green, you know, green things to to the earth and to to that type of sector, then they're probably not going to give to you. But if you're running a uh, a homeless shelter and they have given to five other homeless shelters around the region. Okay, you could probably send a letter, you could probably send something simple, and you've got at least got a shot at it. Maybe you have somebody that they know that could sign the letter and could help you a little bit. You don't need that strong of a relationship if you're asking a million dollar donor for a thousand dollars. However, if you're asking a thousand dollar donor, so a donor whose max gift is a thousand dollars, if you're asking that donor for a thousand dollar gift. Well, by golly, you better know them. You better have a personal relationship with them. You better know why they give and what their goal is in giving. You better know what it is about your organization that they're passionate about. And most importantly, if you're asking for a max gift, you better be asking them personally. So that's that's either face-to-face or, you know, we're coming out of at this time that we're recording this, COVID is it's kind of not as bad as it was. And so a little bit more face-to-face meetings are taking place. You better be asking that donor face-to-face or at the very least on a Zoom call uh, for that gift uh, because it, otherwise it's just unlikely to happen. So you're really challenging us to do more than just, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but just, you know, send a letter, you know, go, Hey, we need, we need whatever X, Y, Z that may be part of it, but you're really challenging us. We we got to do some face to face time. We got to we got to get to know people and walk alongside them. And you've got to understand what it is about your organization that they are passionate about. Uh, one of the examples I use a lot is is a symphony. And I grew up uh, playing. The, I played the trumpet growing up. And so to me, a symphony is all about the trumpets. I mean, I know there's woodwinds and there's clarinets and flutes and you know but who pays attention to them it, it's the trumpets that you know maybe drums okay but it's the trumpets that are the cool part so if you're if you are from the symphony and you're coming to me to ask me for that thousand dollar gift uh tim i, I can't make a million dollar gift but uh if you're coming to me for the thousand dollar gift you better be telling me about the trumpets. You better telling me the the the, the uh, music that's coming up and how hard it is to play. And if you're going to bring somebody with you, bring the lead trumpet player with you. You know, the, the, know what's important to me. Um, now, it doesn't mean that I won't write a, a general gift that will go to the whole symphony, but I want to know what excites me about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, and you you just you got to know what that is. You, know, you talk about the fact that that when you're when fundraising is happening, people really want to connect with the executive director, right? Kind yes, of the lead person. Yeah, yeah. the 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 executive director, the CEO, the what whatever the title is, the the chief, the the you know the chief staff position. In our in this podcast, we predominantly call it the executive director, but. That role, that is what your donors, especially when you're going out doing major gift fundraising, that's what donors, that's who they want to hear from. Um, and this, a lot of organizations 
that are right at the place where they can move from a, uh, a single fundraiser. You know, the executive director is the fundraiser to hiring their first fundraiser. And what I see over and over and over and over is that executive director has a tendency to take a step backwards. Uh, and that is, that is not correct. That executive director has got to be out there, out in front, leading the charge. If there's anybody who carries the banner of the organization into fundraising battle, it is the executive director carrying that banner. Um, and I was reading uh, the Association of American Colleges and Universities. They did a survey and 80% of college presidents say they spend most of their time fundraising. Now, I got to tell you, Tim, colleges and universities are some of the biggest fundraising machines on the planet. They know how to fundraise. And so if their president, their executive director is spending most of their time fundraising, well, for your $100,000 or $200,000 or $300,000 organization, that probably is going to apply to you as well. And so one of the questions I get a, a lot from executive directors is how much time, okay, I get it. I should be spending a lot of my time fundraising, but come on, Nathan, it's not physically possible to spend 60, 70, 80% of my time fundraising because I have all of this other stuff I have to do. And I, I get that. I, you know, I struggle with that saying, I like to fundraise and, and I have on my day job, I have, I have an, a problem sometimes working it in. So I, Feel your pain because I live it. Um, but I would challenge you to try maybe as a benchmark 25%. Um, so that's that's two hours a day on an eight-hour day. 25% is two, two hours, if my math's correct, which it may or may not be. So it's okay if you check me on that. But if you could do two hours a day, um, I think you would see a substantial improvement in your fundraising results. So I think if people are like me, they're kind of, they're wondering. And one of the things they would probably want to ask you is, so what is that? What do you do during those two hours? Practically, what would be some things that you would say, okay, here's what you can do in those two hours. Okay. Uh, good question. So two simple, simple, simple things you can do. One is pick up your phone and dial one of your donors and talk to them. That would be an amazing thing to do. Um, first of all, you just, you thank them for being a, a donor and you thank them for being such an important part of what you're doing as an organization. Um, and then you just have a conversation. Uh, if you don't know them quite as well, if it's, if it's not somebody that you, you know, you sat next to at, at the last event, um, you could just say, uh, so how did you get connected with our organization? How, tell me that story. Uh, and hear where they came from, how they got connected. Uh, another question is, what is it? What is it about our organization that gets you excited? Um, and then just go with where that conversation goes. Uh, another thing to talk about is to share, uh, and we we don't tell, we share. Um, to share how we're doing. You know, how is the organization doing? Where are we going? Where's our vision? Um, and your donors, especially major gift donors, they want to know what you're struggling with. You know, you do not have to sugarcoat this. You do not have to make it, you know, everything's rosy and perfect. Um, 
you know, hey, these are these are the areas we're struggling in. We're struggling getting enough staff. We're we're struggling, uh, you know, with this or that or whatever whatever it is. It's just it's an honest conversation uh, with your donor. So so that is the number one. If, if you could call, you know, two donors a day uh, and and do it first thing in the morning or whatever time works for you, uh, you will see uh, uh, you will see uh, results from that. Uh, another simple, simple, simple thing that you can do is uh, do handwritten note cards. I try to do, um, I t- Yoda, try or try not, you know, either do or you don't. Uh, my goal every day is, is two to three cards uh, of just a handwritten thank you. And it's very simple, you know, dear, you know, John and Sally, thank you so much for your generous giving. It's made such a tremendous difference this year. Uh, you know, we had a great uh, clinic last week. Uh, you know, we did this, this, and this. Couldn't have done it without you. Thanks so much, Nathan. It, it, it doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be detailed. Just a simple note. Uh, and you know, you handwrite it. You handwrite the envelope. And I almost guarantee you that when the that gets to the donor's mailbox, they will open it. Uh, because nobody, nobody sends handwritten notes anymore. So those are two simple, simple things that you can do uh, that will make a difference. Those are great suggestions. Well, Nathan, I've heard you use this term margin versus mission as it relates to fundraising in this, in this setting. So help, help us understand, what do you mean when you talk about margin versus mission? Sure. Well, you know, mission is, is, uh, you know, vision is where we're going. What's the big audacious goal? Mission is what are we actually doing to achieve that vision? So that is the output of what your organization is doing. We are, you know, feeding people. We are saving dogs. We are uh, educating the community about the history of our county. What, whatever, whatever your mission is, whatever your organization is doing, uh, the output, whatever it's producing. Um, margin is your financial ability to actually do that. Um, and there's a saying that says, you know, there, no, no margin, no mission. So, cause if you don't have funding, you can't actually do things to create your mission. And most people, you know, we talked about this in the intro and we got started is a lot of people get into this sector, into the nonprofit sector, because they're passionate about some specific thing. And, and you probably started at your organization, because you were passionate about uh, about what your organization did, and and you know Tim, you're in the refugee sector, and you know you had talked about that for years before you actually ever went to work for IFR. You had you had talked about that it was something that was important to you. So it, it it's very common for people, executive directors, to go into an organization because they're so excited and passionate about what the organization does. And what this means when we say margin versus mission is in order to make sure that you have the margin that you need, the revenue that you need to to do the programming, you've got to give fundraising an equal amount of attention, uh, an equal amount of time, an equal amount of focus so that you your fundraising has what it needs to be successful. And so when I when I say equal, that means you know, actual time spent. I'm not saying you have to spend eight hours a day fundraising, although maybe some days you will, but obviously I'm not saying every minute of every day, but it has to have enough time 
to produce the results that you needed to. It's got to have enough planning time. If you are not going into January 1 with the fundraising plan in place that you know what your plan is going to be for the rest of the year, you will never, ever maximize fundraising results. Just you won't do it. So how do you get a fundraising plan? Well, you have to invest the time to sit down and plan it out. Um, so time spent planning budget. Uh, you it, it it takes money to make money, Tim. You 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 can't fundraise. You can fundraise a little bit with, with no fundraising budget, but you just you've got to have resource, financial resources to put behind it to generate revenue. So actual time spent planning budget. Um, how about board meeting agenda time? Um, you can't expect your board to be excited and put an emphasis on fundraising if they never hear about it. So in, in our board meeting, it is it always comes right after the finance report. And it is sometimes the biggest chunk of our agenda time is actually on fundraising. Um, we spend a pretty good percentage of time on it. Um, and it's and the board knows it's important. So because we spend so much time on it. Um, and then the, the last thing is, um, when was the last time as an organization you passed up on a program expansion because you put that time, effort, and money into fundraising to allow your fundraising to catch up. So, um, and, and I, you know, even, even I, in, in our, uh, at, at friends of the children of Haiti, I love new programs. I love to expand. I love to to increase what we're doing. Uh, and so sometimes we have to just hold back and you know do something on the fundraising side to to allow that to catch up. So it's uh, it's actual time spent planning budget, board meeting agenda time, and making sure that your your program expansion doesn't overrun your uh, fundraising ability. Yeah. So I think we're going to, those are, those are all great things. We're going to come back to where we started in some ways with this whole series. And that is the idea that it does start with you as oh. the executive director. It I, starts with, with you. Yeah, it what does. does that look like? And you are, you know, when you're a small nonprofit executive, you are the chief everything. And that does. And if you're the chief everything, Tim, that means you are also the chief fundraiser. And uh, even if you have fundraising staff, you the role never goes away. And I think one of the biggest things I, I well, I don't think I know that I, I'm always sharing with executive directors is creating a culture of philanthropy and a, a culture of philanthropy makes sure that everybody from top to bottom, from from the board to you, to staff, to volunteers, to even the end users, Everybody knows that fundraising is an important component of what we do as an organization. And without fundraising, we wouldn't be able to do, do what we do. Um, and so, you know, again, making sure there's sufficient board meeting and agenda time, making sure that your staff and volunteers understand that fundraising is part of everyone's job description. Sometimes I get asked, well, okay, I'm a program person. I run, you know, one of the programs of an organization. I don't have anything to do with fundraising. So how can you say I have fundraising responsibility? Well, you actually do because one simple example is program reports. One of the things that major donors want to hear before they write a big check is they want to know what's happening. 
what output is taking place? How are we helping people? How are we saving lives? And those program reports, those tell the story. It, it, it's not only just the numbers. You know, we all know that numbers are important, but it's not just the numbers, Tim. It's the stories. And those stories and those numbers, that is critically important for fundraising staff to share with donors. So that is a just a simple example of, of how a program person can impact um, can impact fundraising. Another example is now both your organization, Tim, and my organization, we're both virtual and, and our we're, our programs are taking place internationally. So this is not as big a deal for, for you and I, but if you have an organization that has a brick and mortar uh, that, that where people come to, you know, what does it look like when you walk in the front door? Are there weeds coming up in the sidewalk? Well, that's probably telling a story, even if it if it's subconsciously to donors that, you know, maybe they're not quite on top of things the way they should be. So as simple as as walking up to the front door and what that looks like and how you're greeted, how do people greet you in the hallways? Those are all things that that when you put that all together, it makes an impression. And those impressions count when it comes to fundraising. So everybody's got a job when it comes to fundraising. And it starts with the executive director, right? Absolutely. You set the pace. Yep. How you greet people, how you're involved with people, will will set an example for everybody else in the organization. Yeah, and it and it comes down to the culture of the organization. And you know, we could do, you know, there's volumes of books written on on organizational culture, but but it's true. And it and it this is fundraising is one of the places where that organizational culture will help or hurt. Uh, depending on on what the reality is for that organization. So if you don't know what to do and you get, and it can be overwhelming, and if you're going to default, default to picking up the phone, going to see a donor, thanking them for their gift, thanking them for, for their giving, and share with them what's going on. And just find out who they are as a person. You know, know who their kids are, know who their grandkids are, know what their story is, know what's important to them. And if you just do those simple things, good things will happen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Practice of Nonprofit Leadership, helping you navigate the murky, tumultuous waters of nonprofit leadership. Each week, we bring you a mixture of encouragement, information, stories, and practical tools to make your journey just a little easier, more fun, and helping you make a greater impact in the world. Would you like a deeper dive into today's topic? Then come on over to the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership website where you will find resources and tools that you can use. Plus, you can connect with Tim and me. We'd love to hear from you. So to all you executive directors and those aspiring to be one, see you next week.